At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. C-13 Originals. This is a documentary series about Tracy Lords, who entered the porn industry at age 15 and left at age 18. There are some who view this as the story of a young girl who was taken advantage of by a brutal industry. There are others who view this as the story of a smart and resourceful young woman who, armed with a legitimate ID, nearly took down said industry, as well as the people in it. There are still others who view this as the story of the unlikeliest of feminist icons. All views will be discussed. These are real-life events. These are real people being interviewed. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Previously, on Once Upon a Time in the Valley, Tracy goes from adult model to adult actress. When Tracy came in, there was such a fury around her arrival in this new girl, and she was just knocking down fences everywhere she turned. And from adult actress to adult star, She was very well aware of how she came across to people. And she played it. She played it to the nth degree, you know. If you walked up to her and you had lust in your eyes, she would not look at you right away and not answer you if you talked to her right away. Everybody had to wait. And from adult star to adult superstar. Even when she sort of was playing a character who was supposed to be demure, you never bought it for a moment. Everything about her was a kind of snarl, you know, I mean, not just her lips, you know, but but her whole body was kind of pouty and sulky. You felt like these guys really wanted to, like, dominate her, but no matter how much they tried, they couldn't do it. She was stronger than all of them. This is Once Upon a Time in the Valley, featuring Ashley West. In the last episode, we paid a lot of attention to Tracy's orgasm scream. But a scream can be faked. An orgasm can be faked. There are some things, however, that can't be faked. Here's adult photographer Suze Randall and her husband, adult director Humphrey Knipe. Some girls are extraordinary sexual animals. You can tell because they don't get dry and they don't get sore. <laughs> I mean, there are sordid details, but there's the gals who are putting KY jelly on all the time, and there's the gals who fool around between sex scenes. She was a remarkable sexual athlete. Well, it's like the Olympics, isn't it? These people are really good at it. I mean, sometimes I put my camera down and just watch. Quite amazing. I could never get the hang of it. 
And when the shooting stops, Tracy doesn't. Adult actor Tom Byron is Tracy's sometimes boyfriend and her co-star in Sister Dearest, incest-themed, as you might have gathered from the title, and set on a college campus. Real live college boys are hired as background players. Here's Tom. She took on like 12 guys on, right, like on the diving board of the swimming pool. Adult actress Christy Canyon isn't on set to see this go down, but she sure hears about it. I remember the story always was that there were like 12 like USC or UCLA college students that were hired to be an extra. She screwed them all during the lunch break. Like she was very highly sexual. Just a reminder, listeners, Tracy in her memoir claims that she got her reputation for wildness among her adult peers for having a threesome. This is the passage from underneath the toll. And the story of my poolside threesome spread through the porn world like wildfire, making me even more sought after in porn films. Is having a threesome in a pool really going to send shockwaves through the porn industry? Having sex with a dozen guys on a diving board, on the other hand, that might get attention even in the porn industry. Christy continues. She loved sex. I remember walking in and she was having sex with a makeup artist who was kind of in the 80s, like a a transgender of sorts. I don't know what they've got, like going from a guy to a girl. And I remember thinking, oh my God. I remember walking in, she was screwing the owner of the house and his friend somewhere. And I mean... You hardly ever saw her because she was always having sex. And the funny thing is she never invited anyone. She wasn't like, hey, Christy, let's go tag team them. She didn't want to share that dick, you know? But Tracy's also holding porn people at arm's length. Christy again. I met her on the set. That first four-day, two-film tandem set for Paradise Visuals, Night of Loving Dangerously and On Golden Blonde. And I'll never forget, everyone was like, oh my God, Tracy Lords is coming today. She, don't, you know, say this to any other girls. Tracy was like, you know, the queen. She was a little colder. What would the word be? More like unattainable. She was nice. She was friendly. She was, you know, great sexually in the scenes, but very to herself on set. And even though we'd sit around and giggle, I never knew anything really personal about her. This is a funny thing to say about a porn actress. Because you think of porn actress as this blunt, carnal role, totally without subtlety. But Tracy has a Greta Garbo quality to her. An air of reclusiveness, of psychological unavailability. And it gives her a mystique, which is what attracts Christy. Really attracts Christy. Here's Christy talking about Tracy to T.T. Boy, an adult performer of more recent vintage, on his YouTube show, T.T. Boy TV. She was hot. She was hot. She was hot. I mean, that girl was with Ginger. Those were my two favorite girls in totally different ways. Ginger and I were like that playful, sexy partnership together, whereas Tracy was like... Do whatever you want, Tracy. I am your fucking bitch. I can do whatever you want. I... For her alleged age of 15, 16, Uh she knew more about sex than I may even know at this age and stage of my life. Uh She was wild, crazy, in charge. She was so in control, very like seductive and, you know, kind of calm and cool. Like Roy Karch once, I remember on a set, said, okay, we're having deli for lunch. I'm going to order food. 
I don't want deli. And I said, yeah, okay, neither do I. She's like, I want Thai food. So everything had to be shit can because she wanted Thai food. And I thought I would not like, I'd be like, okay, I'll take deli. Even if I didn't want it. Cause I was always the people pleaser, you know? But so I loved her attitude. She was like, and then she said to me later, I don't really like Thai food. I just didn't want him to think he could get me whatever he wanted. You know, like that kind of, she was like so conniving in so many ways. So that Tracy is the opposite of warm or open, that she's the furthest thing from the girl next door, is what turns Christy on. I mean, Tracy's aplomb is sort of breathtaking. And that regal, confident attitude is a big reason why no one suspects her of being underage. It's not just her fully developed body. No, it's the immaculate self-possession. That's why people don't even think to question her age. This is David Blander, who back then was going by David Jennings. Unlike Christy, a teenager at the time, Blander was a full adult, and his company, Superior Video Inc., produced three of Tracy's titles, including Physical 2 and Dirty Pictures, both featuring Mark Wallace. If someone had told me she was 16, I'd tell them to stay out of the stash of Mark Wallace. He smoked a lot of dope and couldn't remember his lines. I was very impressed with her. She had this sequined red dress that she loved, but the sequins would come off. And so I assigned myself the task of picking the sequins out of her pubic hairs. And while doing that, um, she went into her biography that she was 22 years old and all that. So it seemed like that was a rehearsed thing, but then everything about her was rehearsed. It's like everything she did, she wanted to do perfectly. She was a perfectionist. She was one of the most professional actresses I've ever seen. Cultural critic James Walcott didn't have as up close a view as David Blander, but he did observe Tracy closely on screen. There wasn't a moment where you felt like, oh, she was this teenager who was taken advantage of. You felt like, almost like she was, you know, not going to let her age stop her from taking advantage of the situation. I think she really wanted to be a star. Even Tom Byron is completely fooled. Here's Tom. We actually did a movie. It was like her supposed 22nd birthday. And I gave her like 22 red roses and one white rose or something like that. And we actually did a scene where I gave her a birthday spanking in a, in a Swedish erotica loop. She was kind of like the perfect porn star. Not all the girls were like that, you know what I'm saying? They would get involved in the drugs and all of a sudden they're not showing up or they're showing up all messed up or, and they're not looking good, you know, because after a while that takes a toll on you. But Tracy always looked good and she always showed up and was professional. And sometimes we would joke about some of the other girls, uh, how immature they were, which in, in hindsight is kind of funny because she was younger than all of them. The perfect porn star. And yet, there are cracks in her perfection. Something Christy Canyon picks up on. I would catch her on Little Lies on set. She was a virgin before she got in the business. She fucked the whole football team. And I'd look at her and go, wait a minute, I thought you were a virgin. I noticed the inconsistencies happened a lot. Yet, at 18, I thought, I don't really care if she was a virgin. I don't care if she fucked the whole football. Who cares? I get to fuck her. That's all I care about. I get to fucking have sex with her in about 10 minutes. Christy isn't going to dig too deep on this one. You're getting the best sex ever. You're inclined to look the other way on minor offenses. But there are other cracks. For example, Tracy has failed to entirely erase her real identity as Nora Kuzma. Here's Tom Byron. I would pick her up in Redondo Beach. 
He saw like a, some mail or something that said Nora, like, you know, it said her real name, you know, Nora Kuzma or whatever. I don't think I even asked her. I think she volunteered like, oh, yeah, Nora. Yeah, she's a friend of mine. You know, I just, you know, I pick up her mail or something like that. I didn't think anything about it. But obviously he did think about it. And he's continued to think about it. Like, there are things Tracy said or did, these little disparities or oddities, that have stuck in his brain. Stuck in his brain the way a piece of food might stick in his teeth. For example, this. We had a conversation on the set of Talk Dirty to Me Part 3. She said, one day I'm going to be working for Paramount and none of this is going to matter. Word to that effect. Didn't think anything about it. I was just like, whatever. See, these are all the things that I thought about once the story broke. Oh, that was a clue. Oh, that was a clue. Oh, that was a clue. Clues, but at the time, he didn't know to what. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ashley, most of the people we've heard from this episode so far have been infatuated with Tracy. Tom Byron, Christy Canyon, David Flander, even James Walcott, the ardor of the fan. But there were people out there who did not like Tracy, who passionately did not like Tracy. And nobody disliked Tracy more passionately than Ginger Lynn. We've named as the top four female performers of the era Tracy, Christy Canyon, Ginger Lynn, and Amber Lynn. Our 80s porn Mount Rushmore. So yes, these are the top four, but some are more top than others. Tracy and Ginger are the top of the top. Here's Tom Byron on Tracy and Ginger. Ginger came before Tracy, okay? She was a beaut. She was, you know, she was a little doll, you know, had a perfect little body, beautiful face, great performer. And she was on all the box covers and was getting the good money and going on all the movies, going to Hawaii, going to New York, doing the whole, you know, doing the whole thing. And Ginger isn't just one of the most popular adult performers of the era. 
She's one of the most popular adult performers of all time. Here's veteran adult performer Sharon Mitchell on Ginger. She was very authentic, wonderful sexual being. My nickname for her was Pinky because she had such a very vibrant pink clit. Here's Ginger on what made her so good. The thing about me is is I, I look like the girl next door. I don't look like the kind of girl that would be in porn. Sex for me is something I get lost in. I had to get lost in what I was doing. So I had a rule with directors, don't stop me, don't talk to me, don't tell me what to do when I'm fucking. My goal was to turn on the crew members because they make movies all the time while I was fucking. I was totally getting my partner off. That was, you know, number one. But to take it to that next level, if I could be so good and so into you and what we're doing right now, right here, that I'm lost and you're lost and the people watching are in there too. And it's like, we're all in this this wonderful, like you can smell it and taste it and touch it and it's all right there. And it's, it's just amazing. Ashley, I've got to break the fourth wall here. We were all sitting together that day. You, me, Ginger, our lovely sound guy, Rich, in the kitchen at Susan Humphrey's Ranch in Calabasas. And when Ginger stopped talking, you and I looked at each other, our eyes touched briefly, just for a second, in acknowledgement of the thrilling thing that had happened. Because this was an answer. It was verbal, of course, we were having a conversation, but it was also visceral. And okay, Ginger's in her mid-50s now, hasn't been in movies for a while, but in that moment, you could feel what made her such a dynamite performer. So exciting to watch. Oh, absolutely. She articulated something there that I wouldn't have thought it was possible to articulate. It's inevitable that she and Tracy will cross paths, and their first meeting has the feel of a showdown at the OK Corral. The valley definitely wasn't big enough for the two of them. Here's Ginger. It wasn't long after she was in the industry that I met her. She and I were cast in a film. I said, yeah, she was beautiful. You know, fuck yeah, I'll do her. She showed up with the curlers in her hair and those dolphin shorts that we wore back in those days. Little tiny, tiny shorts. And they usually had accents that were, anyway. But when she opened her mouth, she was like a fucking truck driver. And she, you know, I loved what I did. And I have a lot of energy and I'm pretty confident. This woman, this just made me, I was like, oh, holy fuck. She was scary. There's different types of women in the industry. And for me, Tracy was this, this sleek black panther. She was just, she just had this, this ooze about her, this way about her. And she was just, she, I mean, she owned it. She fucking owned it. Everything. Tracy and Ginger are instant and instinctive rivals. Tom Byron again. Uh, Ginger was the top dog. And then when Tracy came along, all of a sudden, Tracy started getting the box covers. So Ashley, what you have is two primo girls duking it out for the primo spot. Naturally, they aren't going to get along. Yeah, the antipathy runs deeper than that, though. Here's Ginger. You know, I came in at, at the top not really realizing that I was there, but... The girls that were in my situation, you were always on the box cover. But we all kind of fucked and hung out together before, during, and after. So it, the the hierarchy or the the you know who did A, B, C, and D films didn't really matter. We were all friends. It was this little gang of outlaws that got paid to do something they loved to do. Tracy and I, I don't think we ever had. I don't think we've ever spoken an entire sentence to each other. 
other than while we were filming, you know, dialogue. I mean, my apartment had a sunken in living room and it was known as The Pit. And after filming a lot of the, my movies, there'd be a three-day party in Ginger's Pit. It would just be everybody all over fucking in every room, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the, in the pit. And just, you know, for days. And she was never, you know, I, everybody was invited, but she never came to any of those. I don't know anybody that really hung out with her. To the best of my knowledge, nobody knew fuck all about her. Ginger is using the word gang, but I think what she really means is family. And my sense is that she took it almost as a personal affront that Tracy wasn't buying into the whole porn family thing. And for many porn people like Ginger, it is a family. Not for Tracy, though. For Tracy, it's the porn industry. Tracy and Ginger's views on the business are opposing, almost contradictory. We're talking attitudinal differences so extreme as to amount to ideological differences, philosophical differences, as is revealed by this little gem of an anecdote courtesy of Christy Canyon. Let me set the scene a bit. It's Ginger and Christy, they're on a set, and it's late. Okay, Christy can take it from here. It was the end of a night for Gourmet. We were exhausted. We had a girl-girl scene to do. We were there 12, 13 hours, and we had to do a scene in a bathtub. And the water was freezing. There was no hot water. And Ginger and I were troopers. And we said, oh, it's freezing. And the guy said, let me put the bath mat down. At least, you know, it won't be like cold porcelain or whatever. And he puts the bath mat in. And Ginger and I look, and all this dirt from the bath mat just comes rising to the top of the tub. And Ginger looked at me. She's like, get in. Let's get this over with. And I'm like, you got it. She's like, just keep your feet on top of the tub. We'll do a lot of that. You know, just try not to go down and get dirt on you. We took one for the team. It was midnight. We're tired. We want to get out of there. Make it work. Make it work. But that's what I mean by we took one for the team. Tracy, I don't think ever took one for the team. She'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? You think I'm going to get in that dirty fucking tub? You get, you fucking fart on that water bottle to make it hot if you have to. I'm not getting in unless it's hot. Like that kind of thing. Ginger is a porn star, but she's also a pure heart. She fucks people because she loves to fuck. And she fucks people because she loves people. Tracy fucks too. But Ginger feels that she never fucks without an ulterior motive. And that the fucking she does with her body is nothing compared to the fucking she does with her mind. Here's Ginger. Tracy fucked anybody and everybody, but I didn't ever see her have any connection. Like, you know, you get girlfriends. Like for me, a lot of times I, I've i slept with pretty much everyone I know. And the reason that is, what happens is, is I get to know you and I get to like you. And, and it just, it, it seems like the natural next step for me. That's what I do. And Tracy didn't have any camaraderie, any any girlfriends, any hangout buddies. Any, it, she was just weird off on her own. Ginger feels Tracy is a man's woman. Though really what Ginger feels is that Tracy is a spider woman, weaving a web to entrap any creature, male or female, who passes by. Ginger again. Oh, Tracy bonded with every man that there was. I mean, she would do girls. Like, if you were a couple, you know, she'd be all on top of it. I think it was a challenge to her to see if she, who she could get. With Tracy, I, you know, there was always a... Like, she was competing with everybody when she was, she was... Her partner was the person she was using for her competition to show everybody. Tracy was always showing how great she was and how wonderful she was. 
Ginger isn't the only one who finds Tracy cutthroat. The other win, Amberlynn, recalls shooting a movie built around Vanessa Del Rio, a porn star from the previous era. And Ashley, before we let Amber rip, a quick refresher, a DP is... Double penetration, the simultaneous penetration of one or more orifices by two objects. Here's Amber Lynn telling me and Ashley the DP story to end all DP stories. Tracy was on a film. Vanessa Del Rio was the the thing. It was me, Ginger, Tracy, Lords, and there was a huge amount of competition. We all watched each other's scenes. What happened was I shot a scene with two guys, Tom Byron and Mark Wallace, and I wound up doing a double vaginal penetration. It had never been done. It happened by accident. And Vanessa was like egging me on the whole time. So I was trying to, you know, impress this great porn legend. At the time, I was an up-and-coming girl in the industry. And Vanessa was like Vanessa Del Rio. I think that all three of us were trying to, like, gain her respect. And so Ginger did a DP. Ginger was famous early on for doing double penetration and stuff like that. And I didn't do anal at all, which is why I did double vaginal on that set. And then Tracy Lords jumped in and either did a DP after seeing it to say like, oh, you're going to do that. I'm going to do this. She said, I'm not doing my scene until after they get done. So we had to do both of our scenes so that she could see what we were doing so that she could be the rest. She wanted to be more than what anybody else had done. Now, granted, what ended up happening was they took her scene and they cut it out. Hold on one second. I just need to check this. Sure, okay. go for it. Amber got sidetracked by her cell phone, and we were never able to get her back on track as far as that story is concerned. But I think I can finish it for her since she was just about there. Tracy's DP scene did indeed get excised. Making it the stuff of myth and legend. It exists only in the memories of those who were there. DP face-offs aside, though, it's fair to say that Tracy and Amber didn't have a problem with each other, right? Right. In general, Tracy and Amber got along. The real enduring tension is between Tracy and Ginger. And those tensions erupt at the 1985 X-Rated Critics Organization Awards. Suze Randall and Humphrey Knipe remember. They were the two hot girls. You must have seen the XRCO Awards, which Suze appeared on. Anyway, they were fighting in the dressing room, and then Tracy threw a funk when, when Ginger was, was known to be the winner and girl of the year or whatever it was. So they were really very competitive, and Suze made them have a girl-girl <laughs> in, in misfashion. It isn't just impish Suze who turns these real-life enemies into on-screen lovers. Ginger does it herself. Those Young Girls was a film that I wrote, starred in, and cast. And what a great fuck you to Tracy. I'm casting you to be in my movie, you know? As it so happens, Tracy's giving Ginger a fuck you right back. Only it'll take a good long while for Ginger to realize that she's been fucked and hard. Yes, Those Young Girls seems a title designed to attract the dirty old man contingent but it will prove just as enticing to the government a year or two down the road. If Tracy's most significant rival is Ginger Wynn, her most significant director is Gregory Dark. 
Ashley, I'm going to ask you to give us a skinny on Gregory. But before I do, I'd like to read the opening paragraph of Tom Junod's 2001 profile of Gregory for Esquire. I like the guy. He's funny for one thing, often at his own expense. He's very polite. He even seems kind, although I know he is capable of extravagant cruelty. Most of all, though, he so desperately and transparently wants to be liked that I can't help myself. I like him because I want to be decent, because I want to do the right thing. I just wish, in my heart of hearts, that I didn't think he, Gregory Dark, might be the devil. That's just to prepare our listeners a bit, so they can gird their loins accordingly. Okay, Ashley, take it away. Greg Dark was born Gregory Hippolyte Brown. He grew up in Las Vegas with a mother who was, at least briefly, a stripper. His academic credentials are impressive a degree from NYU Film School, and a master's in fine art from Stanford. In fact, he considered himself a conceptual artist when, in 1983, he got involved in a project called Fallen Angels, a fly-on-the-wall documentary about Jim South and the World Modeling Agency, from which we quoted in episode two. This is Greg on how he went from artist and documentarian to porn director. Without Fallen Angels, it wouldn't have happened. Subsequently, I said, I can make better films than these people in the adult industry. And so I started doing them. I had met Walter, right? And he was a very bright guy. And I said, look, I'd I really like to do these things, but I'm really not interested in doing them the way they're done. I don't necessarily want them to be, per se, sexy or, or these kind of soap opera kind of storylines. I want to do a kind of conceptual art, and I'll put the sex scenes in the conceptual art. Walter is Walter Gunert, a founder of VCA Pictures, one of the biggest adult film companies of the 1980s. And I'm assuming Walter is responsive to the pitch. Oh yeah, Walter went all in. And that's how the legendary Dark Brothers are born. Greg the director, Walter the producer. Here's James Walcott. The Dark Brothers created a persona of white pimps at a point where, like, pimps were sort of passe. So it made it, it, made it sort of a, a double caricature. And then the idea was that the actresses in the film were part of their stable, you know, like, uh, these are my, our stable of girls. And, of course, uh, the deuce looks down on this a great deal. It's sort of like how demeaning this is to the actresses. But I think it was a way of saying, you know, this is how we're going to market ourselves. They understood the nature of branding before a lot of other people did. You had porn actors who became directors but they wanted to be taken more seriously, you know, like Paul Thomas. These guys were like, we're not taking any of this that seriously. So the Dark Brothers are something new, something wild in the porn world. James Walcott again. Their movies had a, a kind of nihilistic, sort of mocking, transgressive quality. They were not trying to imitate Hollywood films or European films. They were just doing their own crazy thing. And it was like a, a kind of bargain basement surrealist aspect. I mean, uh, one of the films, you had a rubber rat that was like talking all the time. There are some in the adult industry who appreciate what Gregory Dark has to offer. And there are some who don't, like Paul Thomas, one of those highly serious actor-turned-directors that Walcott just mentioned. Here's P.T. on Gregory Dark's work. Very um, colorful, warholish, 
sort of stuff that I didn't and don't find sexy at all. You know, for me, I wanted to connect my audience with a story, get a feeling that these are real people and, and she's really fucking around on her husband. How does that feel, dude? I'm not dressing him like a clown. This is real stuff. You know, Greg might do the same thing as I would. Find the absurd comic angles for it. He probably thought his style created the best orgasms, and I thought my style created the best orgasms. We're all going to the same thing. The porn movie Tracy is most associated with is one of Gregory Dark's. Yeah, New Wave Hookers, arguably the most famous adult film of the 80s. And when you were consulting for The Deuce, the HBO show that James Walcott just alluded to, it's the movie that you recommended they reference, right? Yeah, it is. That was for season three, which takes place in the 80s, when the business is moving out of New York to LA, from film to video, all the things we've talked about. And New Wave Hookers, for me, is the movie that embodies those changes. It represents a seismic shift for the adult industry in terms of look, style and sensibility. This is Greg on coming up with the concept. I thought to myself, you know, you drive down Melrose Avenue and see these girls and they're really hot. You know, people that are 35 years old are not picking up on these club girls, right? So I thought to myself, if you if you have you know a movie with these kinds of club girls, and you have some ridiculous concept to it, which is kind of funny and idealistic, i.e., ah, what if I could run this agency and had all these girls and control them by using new wave music, right? James Walcott saw new wave hookers when it came out. Here he is on Tracy's performance. The scene that of course was later cut, was, you know, it, w- it was one of Tracy Lord's greatest scenes where she is in little uh, devil horns and thigh-high boots, and she looks just fabulous. And it was sort of done on a bed that's almost like a platform, and it's sort of off by itself. So it's done very much like a showcase, like we're going to show you what great sex looks like on camera. I remember one thing that happens is during the sex, she's sort of, you know, bobbing up and down. Her head is back on on the side of the bed and her earring falls out. And it's almost like, God, her earring's falling out. What else is going to fall out? In late 1985, Suze Randall takes Tracy with her to England to do press for the Lamb's Navy Rum calendar she'd shot. Here's Suze Randall and Humphrey Knipe. Lamb's Navy Rum is a big English company that hired us We shot it in Cabo, but then they took us to England to promote it. And I tried to introduce her to my, I did introduce her to my fashion model agency that I'd worked with when I was there. I thought she was such a great model that she would become a fashion model. Break into the legitimate modeling world. I just was a big fan of hers. I thought she was so talented. I thought that she could move above. But she wasn't interested. All she did was give the agent's son blowjobs in the darkroom. This would be just another story of Tracy acting incorrigible, up to her usual high libido hijinks, except for one thing. To take Tracy to England, Suze needs to get Tracy a passport. Here's Suze and adult actress Veronica Hart discussing the circumstances behind that passport. She had a government-issued passport. That's I got her that passport. Oh, you did? To take her to London. <gasps> I, yeah. And how did, it, how did it... So she had to have good ID, didn't she? She had stolen a friend's ID. 
Did you, you, but you didn't know I didn't that? I didn't know. This passport is an important detail. Key, it would be fair to say. So put it away for now, but keep it handy. You'll need to pull it out sooner than you think. Now, we want to talk about how purposeful Tracy is, how resolute, how clear in her intentions. Jim South was her agent, but soon she didn't need him, was perfectly capable of hustling for herself. Tracy didn't hang out in the office like a lot of the girls did. Some of them would hang out because they'd run into people that were friends of theirs that were with the agency. Some of them would hang out to come in for work and she didn't need either. She became distant pretty quick because she's kind of used to promoting on her own. In other words, she's not someone who seems zonked out on drugs. Ginger is adamant that Tracy didn't take them. Never saw Tracy do coke. We all did coke. We Like I said, we hung out together before and after. And there were people who always did it on the set. I don't know how, it's very hard to perform that way, but I've, I never once saw Tracy do a drug. As is adult actor Billy D. If you'd asked me, did she do drugs back then, I would have told you no, because I, I never seen her high, or I never did drugs with her. I mean, we all snorted a little coke back then, you know? And I can't imagine what she was high on, because uh, that doesn't register atoll, as my mama would say, atoll. Obviously, what Ginger and Billy are saying directly contradicts what Tracy has said in her memoir. In Underneath It All, she, of course, has Jim South pushing drugs on her during their first meeting. And then she claims she stayed in porn to essentially finance her addiction. And don't forget, Coke is also why she claims her memory of those years is so severely impaired. And yet the clear consensus in the industry is that Tracy was not an addict, was in fact abstemious as far as controlled substances were concerned. And that Tracy wasn't a habitual user makes her stand out in this crowd. It's the 80s, after all. Coke is around. But in the porn industry, it's absolutely pervasive. Here's Tom Byron. Everyone had, I mean, that's what you did. Everyone had their little vial in their pocket. You know, it was courtesy. It was a very social thing. It was kind of like cigarettes. The guy Tracy calls Sonny in her memoir, real name Tommy, is out of the picture by late 85. In the picture is the guy Tracy calls Scott Bell in her memoir, real name, Stuart Dell. Dell is Tracy's business partner and boyfriend. Tom Byron on Stuart Dell. He was a good-looking guy and, and a kind of a, a you know, a, a sharp talker. Jim South kind of was wary of him, kind of like he didn't trust him. Jim South is wary and distrustful of Stuart Dell for good reason. Tommy was an outsider and a deadbeat. I eat was no threat. Stewart, on the other hand, is an insider, has been kicking around Hollywood for years. And the distinct impression Ashley and I got from adult industry people is that he's an operator. Here's adult actor Tim Connolly. Stuart Dell was the kind of guy that looked like he'd be hanging out at a nightclub, not quite a lounge lizard, looked more like, um, you know, like he was an action movie director, had long hair, stylishly long hair, but not rock and roll long, like Hollywood long, and had that slick sort of Malibu beach guy look to him. 
seemed tanned and, you know, like he didn't look like he worked really hard to make a living and he had some angle on everything. In January of 1986, Tracy forms TLC, the Tracy Lords Company, with Stuart Dell. And we've actually found footage of Tracy making the announcement at some sort of industry function. It's hard to hear her through the party chatter, so you've really got to cock an ear. Tracy was sick of taking orders. She preferred to give them. Sometimes we get a lot of jerky directors. People get on set and they tell you how to fuck. They tell you when to scream. And I don't think that's right. I think for the best results, you should be allowed to just go with what you feel and act how you want to act. The move does not go unnoticed by Tracy's peers. Here's Tom Byron. It's kind of like a big deal. She was building this little TLC empire kind of thing. And here's Amber Lynn. Okay, so Tracy Lord's company, the TLC company, my recollection of that was that Tracy at that time was big, huge. You know, she was as big as anybody could be in the industry. And she was making films under her own company. And she was like one of the first, if not the first porn star I remember to have her own company because Ginger went with Vivid, but Tracy had her own company. I want to pause here to emphasize just how monumental it is that Tracy did this. Amber has already emphasized it, but I want to re-emphasize it. What Tracy did was unprecedented in the business. Ginger, as Amber said, became a contract girl for Vivid, and that was big. But Tracy was striking out on her own, and that was even bigger. And TLC was grandiose in its vision. Tracy and Stewart agreed to a three-picture deal, and two of those pictures were to be shot overseas. One in Japan, one in France. No one else was thinking on that scale at the time. And her ambitions are broadening, beyond even having her own porn production company, beyond the porn industry altogether. In the February 1986 issue of Hustler, Tracy discusses her plans to conquer Hollywood. She says, I have enough money to do what Sylvester Stallone did. I'll make myself a star. Why not, if no one else will let me be one? Maybe people do still think it's somehow more okay for a man to have done an adult film than for a woman to have done them. But I don't really care. I don't give a damn. Ashley, can you explain the Stallone reference? Yes, yeah, Stallone appeared in a softcore sex film called The Party at Kitty and Studs several years before Rocky and his breakthrough. But Sly was the exception, not the rule. It was virtually impossible at that time to cross over. Yeah, and for a woman, actually impossible. And for a woman in hardcore, a step beyond impossible. Here's what I wonder. Is it starting to dawn on Tracy that brazening it out in the mainstream world, yeah, I'm a porn star, so what, isn't going to work? That Hollywood is the most hypocritical place on earth? And if she wants to make it there, she's going to have to cater to that hypocrisy? Maybe. In any case, that spring, Tracy and Stewart head to France to film the TLC-produced Tracy, I Love You. Shoot begins on May 8th, one day after Tracy's 18th birthday. She's only been back home a few weeks when the Mies Commission drops its report. Here's the Attorney General and Commission's namesake, Edwin Mies, receiving the report at a press conference on July 9th, 1986. Henry Hudson, I would like to thank you and the members of the Commission for the hard work that you have undergone in the course of the past year, and we will uh, review these recommendations with a great deal of interest. 
I will uh, assure you that the hard work of the Commission will receive very careful scrutiny by the Department of Justice. Three days later, the FBI comes a-knockin' on Tracy's door. Next time on Once Upon a Time in the Valley. I think I was cleaning or doing something, watching like Entertainment Tonight or one of those kind of gossipy shows. And they said Tracy Lords, you know, under whatever the news thing was. And there was no TiVo or DVR. You couldn't rewind it. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, I was in shock. Absolutely blindsided shock. This has been a presentation of C13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran and me, Lily Analik. Directed by Zach Levitt. Created and written by me. Produced by Ashley West. Edited and mastered by Chris Basil, Bill Schultz, Perry Crowell, and Ian Mont. Theme music and original score by Joel Goodman. Production engineering and coordination by Sean Cherry and Terrence Malangone. Field recording by Rich Berner. Artwork, marketing, and PR by Kurt Courtney, Josefina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. Once Upon a Time in the Valley is hosted by me and Ashley West. Thanks for listening. It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.